Oh God, giver of all good things, would you move our hearts and our spirits in this moment by your sacred word. May your sacred spirit change us today. In Jesus we pray, amen. Have a seat. So the prologue is done. We've been working on the Sermon on the Mount over the last few weeks, and it has been good for us to get started. It's good for us to think about this ancient teaching of Jesus that found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And in this text, Jesus is showing us what it means to be his disciples. He is showing us a new way of being in the world. And the prologue for Jesus starts with a picture of the good life like we wouldn't have expected in the Beatitudes. And and then Jesus moves to a place where he is speaking about what it means to take on a righteousness that even looks more full, more intense maybe, than that that all the so-called religious people of his day, the scribes and the Pharisees, had already laid claim to. And Jesus says, there is a form of goodness, of righteousness, of goodness that is deeper, fuller. And then Jesus chooses to begin with murder. You know, murder. Everybody's favorite test case. You even hear some people say every now and then describing somebody else or maybe even themselves say, well, I'm not that bad of a guy. I mean, I, I haven't like killed anybody. Is that literally the lowest bar you can think of, right? I'm doing okay. I haven't managed to slay anybody yet, right? And maybe it's because it seems such a low bar that Jesus chooses to start there. Jesus starts with that old commandment, thou shalt not murder. And Jesus begins in chapter 5, and if you will, follow along and read with me, beginning in verse 21 and following. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder. And whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or a sister, you'll be liable to judgment. And if you insult a a brother or sister, or you may have the old translation that says, if you say raka. Anybody say raka to somebody this week? And we'll come back to that in just a minute. If you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council or the Sanhedrin. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first. Be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're on the way to court with him or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you'll be thrown into prison. And truly, I tell you, 
You will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. And Jesus is going to use this form over the next few passages. We're going to hear it over the next several weeks to talk about what it means to have that righteousness, that goodness that goes deeper than what was just covered in the surface of religion. A fuller version of it. And it starts with hearing Jesus' words that say, you have heard it said, but I'm telling you. And he starts with this idea of murder. And he says, you've heard it said, don't murder, don't kill anybody. And you may have been managing to pull that off. But I tell you, if you are angry with a brother or sister, you might be liable to the very same judgment. And then he says, he uses two insults. He picks an Aramaic one and a Greek one here in the way that the Matthew tells the story. The, and they both mean essentially the same one. Raka, okay, is the Aramaic version. And then he says, uh, uh, you fool. Does anybody know the Greek word to you fool? I bet you, you do. You didn't know it. Okay, in fact, you've been, you've been using this word all the time. You just didn't realize what it meant. The Greek word for fool here is, you guys aren't going to believe this. Teens, I'm giving you a gift today moron okay you ever call anybody a moron real oh come on central so he says now i know nobody called nobody said raka to anybody this way but you may have called somebody a moron you may have not said it but you may you know in your head confession time can we sing some just as i am real quick and just get this going i mean we, we gotta get some people right here jesus says not only are you liable to judgment if you pick up a knife and put it through somebody's heart, but if you're in that space where you're angry, and if you're in that space where you have such contempt for your fellow man, for such contempt for your sister that you say, what a worthless person. What an idiot. What a fool. What a moron. You are in that same place of danger. And that stings a little bit to me. It feels a little bit like Jesus is in my head. Last week, I talked about, uh, we talked about being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And I told you about my recipe for chicken, and today I want to talk about a totally different flavor, and that is passion fruit. You guys a fan of passion fruit? I know you guys are like, this guy has some unexpected tur turns in his preaching sometimes. It's to keep you off balance. I want to talk about passion fruit. Now, not of course like the actual passion fruit thing, which I think is a fine flavor, and you can catch me after church and we'll talk about that if you want. But what Jesus is really doing in the sermon in these next few sections where he says, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you, is he wants us to understand the connection between passion and fruit. 
between our interior emotional lives, what the ancients called the passions. They called them that. You ever notice the, the, the similarity of the word passion and passive? You ever seen that connection? Those words are very tightly connected, okay? They come from a good Latin root. And the reason they look like that is because the ancients noticed that our emotional lives feel like something that just happens to us. It just comes over. You don't make a decision. I will now engage my angry mode, click a switch, I am now angry. No, that's not the way it works, right? Anger comes over you, right? It's, it's a passion, it, it happens to you. And not only passion, not only the passion of anger, but, but lust and love or, or maybe uh, other kinds of emotional things like come upon you and they, and they, they seem like they just happen to you. And then what happens is, after a while, those things grow. They grow. They grow. And they bear fruit. And they turn into some kind of action. You do something. Jesus is very concerned about that process. In fact, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7, right before the, the parts that we read, you know, we cheated ahead a couple of weeks ago, Jesus talks about what it means to be a tree that bears good fruit. And you might be a little surprised to hear that that's not the only time in Matthew that Jesus talks about that. In fact, there are three other times after that. There are four times total where Jesus talks to his disciples or to people who he's speaking against about what it means to be a tree that bears good fruit as opposed to something that produces something destructive and dangerous. Jesus is very concerned about what we do based on what's come before that. And the sermon has something to say about the passions that will eventually bear fruit. And the message, I think, at its core is, that, is this. It's that um, unchecked passion is dangerous. So yes, there is a sense in which it happens to you, but there is also a sense, and church, hear this, there is a sense in which we are responsible for cultivating not just good actions, but for cultivating the kind of emotional lives that will yield good actions. There are certain kinds of apologies in our world. Some of them are absolutely worthless. They're the kinds of apologies that say, I'm sorry you were offended, right? That's the, that's the kind of apology that says, I'm sorry you're a moron, right? It's the same, same sort of thing. I'm sorry you overreacted, right? That's the kind of, that's not even a, that's a, that's a non-apology, right? Some people were offended. I'm sorry for that. Well, maybe be sorry for it. So the second level is, I did something that made you angry. And I'm sorry that I did that thing, right? That's, that's the beginning of taking responsibility 
for your actions. So the first thing, let me, I want to give you some kind of levels of apologies here, okay? So the first level that is, we're not even going to call it an apology, it's kind of the non-apology is, I'm sorry you were offended, right? The second one, and this is the first real level of apology, it's, I'm sorry I did something to hurt you, okay? That's a real apology. But you can take that a little bit deeper. You can say, I'm sorry that I hurt you. I won't do it again, right? And so now we've taken our confession and we've put repentance with it. We say, I confess, I've done something wrong and I'm not gonna, I'm gonna try my hardest not to do it again. You guys still follow me? All right, let's take it a little further. There's the apology that goes the next step and says, I'm sorry I hurt you. I won't do it again. The reason I did it this time is because, and give some kind of understanding of themselves as to why they created action. Now, one of the ones that you're going to hear a lot on this level, okay, and I'm sure, I bet somebody in here has said this, maybe this morning, but I bet in the last week. I know I, I, I've said this kind of thing. I don't know if I said it this last week, but I've certainly said it a lot before. I'm sorry I did that to hurt you. Maybe I overreacted because I was tired. I was tired, and so I overreacted and I said something. Have you, has anybody ever said something like that before? Where you kind of, yeah, where you kind of feel it and you, I'm, you guys are getting there. We're going to get there. There's, you guys are at this point, this is my relationship with Central. You guys are getting to the place where you're like, I think he actually wants us to answer and so you're doing this number. <laughs> yeah. We're going to get to where I say, has anybody done this? And you all say, yeah, okay. All right, that's where, that's where we're headed and we're going to keep working on it. I'm sorry I did this. I know it hurts you. I overreacted because I was tired. All right? Everybody ever said, you guys have said things like this before? Okay. We're getting really close when we're at that level of an apology. We're getting very close. But it still leaves something out. Because it still leaves out a full measure of repentance. Because what's the question that we should be asking at that point? We should be asking, why am I so tired that I'm acting in a hurtful way to somebody else? And what am I going to do to stop that? You hear me? So there's one level of an apology that says, I'm going to try to take responsibility for my actions, but there's a whole nother level of responsibility that says, I'm going to take responsibility for the things that are developing the condition of my soul that led to those actions. And that's something else altogether, isn't it? That is something else altogether. So the apology then becomes, hey, I'm sorry that I did that and I know that it hurts you. I'm not going to do it again. I did it because I was tired and I'm going to stop staying up so late and I'm going to make sure that this next, next week I get the rest I need so that I will treat other people and you in a more kind way. 
Or to bring it into the sermon that we're talking about right now and the piece of the Sermon on the Mount that we're speaking about. I'm sorry that I acted. I was angry. And, and I'm sorry for the choices that I've made in my life that have allowed me to cultivate and grow more anger in my life. And I'm going to stop watching the news all the time. You're getting that. Thanks, Seth. I'm going to stop running the script in my head that is telling me that everybody I see is an idiot and everybody that doesn't agree with me is a moron. Raka, raka, raka. I'm going to stop fueling a narrative of anger in my mind so that I don't immediately react with anger towards everybody that I see. And that's a different level of repentance, isn't it? That's not just repenting for the fruit. It's repenting of the passion and the things that are growing for cultivation of the passion that makes that work. Now, that's not to say that there's not a place to embrace and feel the passions. There is a place for anger. There is a place for love and desire. But unchecked passion, unchecked passion is dangerous. And it turns out that it might not just hurt you. It might hurt other people too. And every time you consider that you have narrowly escaped killing somebody, We might do better, as Jesus says, to consider not just murder, but to consider the anger, which is the road towards murder. We might do well to consider that when I, inside my mind, am fueling a narrative of anger, and I feed it, and I sustain it over and over and over again, We need to consider what anger, what, what that anger eventually does to us in growing or our capacity for violence and in shrinking our capacity to love our neighbors as ourselves. We think a lot about murder in the society in which we live. We think about the violence that we've experienced. And it's an incalculable wave, a toll that the violence takes on us over time. Whether we're thinking about things like the shootings that we've had this year, the shooting in Buffalo, the, the shooting in Texas, the, the Valdi thing, right? Even in our own city here in Little Rock, we, we know there's too much violence, right? And we grieve that. We mourn the violence. But we also have to learn to mourn the culture of anger that leads to the violence. We've been mourning the fruit. But we need to start paying attention to the soil. 
paying attention to what we're cultivating and growing. Because we can't solve the problems of the violence just by putting more badges on the street. We have to begin working on the soil that creates that violence. We have to work on creating and cultivating the kind of culture that rejects not just the heinous violence, but rejects all the devaluing of humanity that eventually leads to that violence. Because you can turn on the TV, you can turn on your phone and pick up, you know, the news. And you'll see story after story after story about violence and murder. But they're just told, telling you about what happened. And you'll wait. You'll wait to hear about not just what happened, but why it happened. And we find that we are so incapable of telling the whys. Because when we start talking about the whys, we start talking about the tree, not just the fruit. We start to perceive that the why is something that implicates all of us. That we all have to own it to some extent. You can read about the murder in the news, but you may not hear about the why of it, not in any way that really makes sense. And especially not if it's not a spectacular crime. The lower level violence that just takes place in the city all the time. They're not even interested in telling the story about why that happened. Because murder is the headline, but anger is the story. And in order to really address the story of that, we have all got to do deeper work. Because I may not appeal to anybody yet, but I may have nurtured the seed of that in my heart. I think this is what Jesus is teaching us here. You have heard that it was said that there is too much violence in our world. But I tell you, there may be too much of the seed of violence growing in your own heart. You've heard it said that there's too much blood soaking the earth. But I tell you that the blood within your own veins runs with hot with anger sometimes. You've heard it said, but I tell you. This is Jesus' way of helping us understand ourselves teaching his disciples, those of us who are trying to follow Jesus together, teaching us to look inside and really understand what it means to follow Jesus, not just with the results, but to follow Jesus in a commitment to cultivating the thing that will bring the results. The gospel is in this parable, this story, in this teaching. Anger is the story of our world. But anger doesn't have to be our story. And if you're in here tonight, today, and you are listening to all this, and you're thinking to yourself, man, it just feels like such a trap. I feel 
angry all the time. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands for this because we're getting a little bit too personally for this, right? But I know that there are people in this room. God help us. I know that there are people in this room that feel like they're angry all the time. And I want you to hear the gospel of Jesus that you don't have to live perpetually angry. Now, it might mean that you need to take on some practices and do some things, right? I want to give you just a couple of suggestions today. And I want to tell you that as we continue studying the Sermon on the Mount, some of the things that we're going to study in the next chapter are really designed for us to help work on these passions a little bit, okay? But I don't want to just say, well, here's a huge problem. Wait for a couple of weeks. We'll see about it, right? You probably be on vacation that week, and then you just, you know, what are you going to do, right? Here's a couple of things. It's important to build space into your life. This is number one. Where you have some time of silence where you spend reflecting on your interior life. So much of our lives is built on avoiding what is inside of us. And if I was just going to give you one secret practice, like one secret spiritual tip that would give you so much fruit, it would be this, okay? Set a timer, whether it's kitchen timer, that that timer that's on your phone, the best app for your spiritual growth that's on your phone is the timer. And set it for five minutes. If you can do five minutes too easily, set it for 10. If you're thinking, I don't have time for this, come on, man. You don't have time not to do this. Set it for five or 10 minutes and spend time simply reflecting on what the interior life is as you're trying to follow Jesus, okay? When you do that, you give yourself space to not just work on the fruit, but to work on the things that produce the fruit. So that's the first thing. The second thing is start noticing the things that perpetually make you angry. Now, I'm picking on the news a little bit, fairly, okay? We should all recognize that one of the dangers in our society is that there are corporations that make billions of dollars making us angry. Do we recognize that? Their job is to make you angry so that you'll show up the next night and get angry again, and the next day and get angry again. And, the ne- and they know that that is just as addictive as the drugs that are sold on the street. And they make a killing doing it. Stop letting them steal your life. But we ought to not just picking on them, okay? We ought to take inventory in our lives to say, what are those things that tend to make me, that tend to cultivate anger within me? And for some of us, it is habits like the the media that we consume. For some of us, it's habits like how late we stay up at night. For some of us, it's just, you know, other kinds of things, right? There are other sorts of things that we either take into our lives or Maybe people that we talk to, you know, our friends. You got a friend that just calls and rants to you all the time? may have to learn to tell them to stop. Say, hey, man, it don't do me any good to hear that junk all the time. 
You t- if you're gonna call me, let's talk about golf, you know? Or, I mean, please nobody call me and talk about golf. Um, but let's talk about anything else, okay? But take inventory of those things that you find are cultivating anger within you and start, start cutting off those things, okay? Listen, we need to hear the word of Jesus for us. He is not telling us this because he's trying to dampen our party. He is telling us this stuff because he loves us too much to allow us to live, to waste our lives stewing over our anger all the time. And Jesus wants to bless us by welcoming us into a different story. Jesus wants to let us live not in a story where we are totally fighting everybody and everybody that comes into our lives, but we're beginning to embrace our brothers and sisters in love, where we follow his pattern, the pattern set forth in the cross, right? That says, I mean, how, how different is the cross if it's only a story of Jesus as angry guy, right? It's Jesus resisting that. And Jesus is welcoming us into this story. This is ultimately what baptism is. It's our rejection of all those stories. It's a rejection of all those different roads. And it's a saying, I can't reach in there, I don't think, all the way from here. <laughs> there we go. I'm going to have to get a stool. What this water represents is a rejection of all the stories that only bring bad fruit. An embrace of his story, which leads to righteousness and justice and peace. Today, Maddie Tucker is over here. Love you, Maddie. Maddie, coming off of Uplift this last week, has decided that she wants to embrace the story of Jesus and take him on in baptism. Hey, Maddie, part of what you're doing there is you're saying, I want to get rid of some of these other stories and I want to take on the story of Jesus. And I think that's beautiful. I think it's wonderful. She's at that place where she's ready to take that step. You may be too. And if you're in the place this morning where you want to turn away from a story of being dominated by the passions and being dominated only by your anger, I invite you, by the name of Jesus, I invite you to come, talk to me or somebody else, and take on the story of Jesus. It is the story of life.